right, don't go out and buy the cardboard board to play go for broke. All you need are the plastic pieces. Those little flat things that are in your wallet, that's all you need to go for broke. You can play that game at home, on the internet, at the store, at Walmart, any place you want to go, you can play go for broke. And I think there's a lot of people who are playing go for broke. And they are broke and uh, don't realize how broke they are because they just get another offer for more credit or they just get their credit extended. We've been doing a series of messages on Rediscover Hope. And there's one area that we must rediscover hope in, and that is how we handle our money. Because I'm afraid, especially right now, and I timed this message right about now because right about now you're getting those December Visa bills and MasterCard bills. And you're realizing how much you spent on Christmas, whether on yourself or on others, it doesn't matter. But you're, you're, you're realizing it now and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I am, I'm really playing the go for broke game and how can I handle this? But we as a nation, we as, a, as an American, as, as a country, we are the wealthiest. We have the highest standard of living. We have the highest standard of medical care. We have the highest standard for education. Yet we are just one paycheck away from ending in the poorhouse. We are just on that precipice so many times and so many families at that point of being in serious trouble. Interesting statistic I read this past week that consumer debt in America has now reached an all-time high. Consumer debt is now $2.7 trillion, the highest point it's ever been in history. What an amazing amount of money that we owe just in our own lives, just in the way we live and the way we spend, the habits that we have. I want us to take our Bibles and be looking at the book of Luke today because we're going to be going there and looking at a person who played the go-for-broke game. He, he played it in a, in a way that this is a parable. This is not actually an actual story, but it's a parable. It's an earthly story, but it has a heavenly meaning. And, and Jesus tells this story of a person, uh, of a son who really had a desire for more, had a desire to accumulate more, go for the broke whole, th- whole thing. He kind of had this hunger deep within inside him that he wanted more. He just couldn't get that enough at home. And so he lived out his life, lived out his dreams, and found himself shipwrecked. Now this entire chapter really is telling about a redemptive element of God and that how he is an accepting father and, that, and how he is one who wants you to be found again when you lost. He wants you to have hope again when you've lost hope is the story of, of chapter 15 of Luke. And that's where we're going to go in just a moment. But I think we really need to understand today and begin to wrestle with and evaluate our own life habits, our own spending habits, our own philosophies on spending, our own concept of money and value of money and things and where it can take us and what it can do for us. And I think Os Guinness said it well when he said, no one can master money without mastering the meaning of money. It's a good statement. No one can really master money, get a control on money, be a good steward of their money, unless they first of all understand the meaning thereof. Once you understand the meaning and what it's there for, what it's to be used for, and how it's to be used and spent and and, and manipulated and so forth, then you can begin to emerge out of that with meaning and purpose and hope in your own finances. There's lots of things you can do with your money. But real quickly, you can, you can invest it, you can spend it, and you can waste it in short. 
You can just go out there and you can invest it in things, you can spend on things, or you can just waste it. Those are about the three things I thought of this past week about what I can do with the resources that God has given me. Now, I might do some better than others. I might do some more than others. I might need help with others, and I might not need any help at all with others. So how am I spending the resources that God has given me and allowed me to have in my life? Investing it is when basically you learn to put your money to work, where your money makes money. Now that's a dream for many. The idea of money making money and that my money is now working for me and and I'm not having to work for money. Think about that. Wouldn't it be awesome to be in a situation to where you have the money, that your money is now working for you and you are handling your money and using your money in such a way that it is bettering, making you far better off. Now you say, that's, that's a pipe dream, Mike. That only happens with those big people over there at that big place called Walmart. It didn't happen with the commoners. It didn't happen with the, the hourlies. It doesn't happen like that. Interesting, a book came out a few years ago. I picked it up and read a portion of it, and I'm now going back through and reading some more of it. It's The Millionaire Next Door. It's an interesting story of, of, of how many millionaires there are in America, and many of them are living just next door. Now, I don't know your block, or if they're on my block, or where they are, but the point is, is that sometimes, and this whole book is about how just common people were able to become millionaires in life because of the way that they lived their life and how they invested their money. It's an interesting book. You might pick it up. I don't say it's necessarily coming from a Christian standpoint, so just kind of be aware of that. But the millionaire next door. But that's a part, these are people who have learned to invest their money, and yet their money worked for them. Another way we can use money is we can spend it. Just out there, you know, I spend $10. I want to buy a widget for $10. Then I go and I find the best widget I can find for $10. I get a $10 widget, and I give them $10. But sometimes that $10 widget is actually priced at $20 or $30, but I need to be a good consumer and look for good values out there and get the best value I can for the best buck I can. What do we say? The best, most bang for the buck. To get the best widget I can for the money that I have. That's a person who is spending their money, and hopefully they're going to get something in return pretty close, maybe not always, but pretty close to the value of that dollar that it costs to make it and transport it and all that kind of stuff. But then there's the category that none of us wants to classify ourselves in. It's the category of the subject of our story today. It's the category, again, that I really don't think most of us would even see ourselves in because I think we would probably see ourselves maybe in the middle. We're not at that point where we're investing our money's working for us so much, but we're kind of in the middle where we're trying to be a value-conscious shopper. But I also think that sometimes we may not be as value-conscious that we might be in that third category of wasting our money. And I'm not going to classify anybody in this room. My, my, listen, every time I point the finger at you, this today all fingers are pointing right back at me as well. Every time I look at you, I'm looking at myself in the mirror. Every time I say you, I'm talking about me. All right? So I just realized that as I'm sitting here talking about spending, wasting, and investing, I need to really be looking at myself and doing an honest evaluation. I mean, when you talk about wasting it, there's probably no better example I can think of in modern day, I mean, just really quick, than Mike Tyson. The former heavyweight champion made in the course of his time as the champion in boxing $200 million. Now, can you imagine making $200 million? I can't count that high, all right? 
He made $200 million. But yet, a few years back, he filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And, the, and his creditors said that to his name he owned $5,553. Now, how can you blow through $200 million? I don't know. And that's not for me to judge you or him or anybody else, but that's just an example of I have to think that somehow in there, there's a whole lot of waste going on. Now, maybe that's not an example for us to follow today, but I have to ask the question, does coffee really cost $4? You think about it. I mean, I like it. Yeah, bring me a white chocolate mocha every now and then. I don't mind that. I'll go buy one every now and then. I'm not saying don't go buy your white chocolate mocha or whatever your poison is. But does it really cost $4? And does the sweater that you paid $100 for before Christmas and then one week after Christmas it now costs $50? Which does it really cost? Does it cost $100 or does it cost $50? Or did it actually cost $10 and it just made itself up to $50 and $100? I don't know. I mean, you've got to think about that. In the meal that you're going to go out and eat today for lunch, you'll take the whole family out, you'll feed the whole family, maybe you'll be real conservative, you won't get soft drinks, but you'll get water. You'll save a few dollars there, but that meal, may, you may walk out of there $40, $50 in the hole. That'll cost you. That same meal, if you went home and prepared it, would it have cost you $40 or $50 to prepare it? You said, no, 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 but I enjoy it. It's a luxury. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take nice vacations. I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy nice clothes. I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy your lattes. If you have a fetish with shoes, go buy shoes. But what we have to do is we have to, at some point in our lives, Learn to value that dollar. Learn to look at the money and say, God, this is yours. Am I using this for the absolute best good? Am I actually getting the most bang for the buck out of it? Have I learned, as Osgenis said, what really the meaning of money is, let alone being able to handle that money? If you have your Bibles, again, look at Luke chapter 15, because we're going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture here. But I think it communicates oh, volumes to us today. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus has just told two other parables about a lost sheep and about lost coins. And now he's going to talk about a lost son. We're going to break down this prodigal son and how he kind of wanders off and what happens there. Because this is not an actual true story. But I think if you look at it long enough, you can certainly see it's true many times over. It's not just true one time, it's true multiplied times. Look here with me. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, the father give, the youngest son said, Father, give me a share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and he went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and began to be impoverished. And he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, of that country. Now, just note that as probably he's hiring himself out to a Gentile. He's a Jew because he's in a different country, hiring himself out to a Gentile. And one of the reasons we know he's not a Jew is because this guy owns pigs. All right? And so Jews don't associate with poor. Okay, and he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of another country, and he sent uh, him to, into the fields to feed the swine. Now, that's probably about as low as you can get. You take the lowest job on the totem pole. For, for you, in your, in, your, in, your, in your mind, in your worldview, and this man has it. 
Okay, he has that. Because he is a Jew, and now he is feeding the pigs. Verse 16, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving him anything. No one was giving anything to him. And when he came to the senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I want to stop there. Because if you go on and you read the rest of the story, you'll find that that the father throws a feast for his son who's come back home. But as you look at this story, I'm not going to so much focus on the father's response or the older brother's response. I want to focus on what goes on in the mind of a person who wastes their money. Because again, I don't think most of us will in this room consider ourselves as wasteful people. We might be spenders, we might be investors, but really have we taken a hard look at everything that God has given us and have we really evaluated, am I a waster, a spender, or an investor? And I hope that we can look at our lives and find that we're one of the top or upper tier, but I'm afraid if we really look at ourselves, we might find ourselves in the mirror of this own prodigal son. And I think real quickly, I want to give you five ways you can waste your wealth. Five ways that if you're not careful, you will waste the wealth that God has allowed you to have. The very first way is to live impulsively. Just live impulsively. Now this boy, look at verse 12. He said, the younger, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. That right there shows a son. If you understand the culture and you understand the times, that is probably one of the most cultural taboo things that he could have done. Number one is, is, is similar maybe in our culture, most children don't get the inheritance from their father or their family until the death of that family. Well, it's the same way here, but this son actually goes to the father because he couldn't stand it any longer. He had to have what his father had that he wanted, that he wanted to spend at that time and at that hour. He wanted it. He hungered for it. He longed for it. He was passionate for it. And so as he longs for this, what does he do? He goes to his father. He says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Instead of waiting, instead of waiting until the right time and the right hour, you know this in this culture, this would have actually been an insult to the father. Because actually asking for the wealth of the father and not asking for the father is like saying, I want your wealth, but I don't want you. That's how much of an insult this was. But somehow in the good graces of this father, he was willing to say, okay, I'm going to give you your share. But just notice the attitude. Notice the, 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 the demeanor. Notice the perspective of, of, this, of this child. He wanted, he longed, he had to have what was not his. And if you don't understand what impulsiveness is, it's that desire, and this is my own little definition, is when my passion for something, fill in the blank, outpaces my prayer and my patience. 
Whenever I want that sweater, I want that car, I want that boat, I want that whatever, I want that piece of land, I want whatever it is. And I want it so badly that I will ignore the fact that I don't have the money. I will ignore the fact that I can't afford it. I will ignore all the other signs out there that are out there because I want it. It's such a good deal. I've come home before to Lori and I hold up I says, Honey, look what I, look at all the money I saved on buying this. Have you ever all said that? Look at the money I saved in buying this. Now, maybe sometimes there is justification for that. But again, you're going to have to now look at every one of your purchases, every one of your transactions and say, hey, am I living impulsively? Is my passion for this, fill in the blank, outpacing my prayer and my patience? Somebody said it like this, whenever you find yourself going into a store and impulsively wanting to take something off the shelf to take it home, the best thing to do is to walk away just like any other temptation. Walk away, put it on your list. Put it on our actually list of all the things that you might want because it's amazing how many times you go into the store, you go to the promenade, you go here, you go there, you're on the internet, you want, you want, you want, and if you'll just start making that list and you'll walk away and you'll give it 24 hours, all of a sudden that passion and desire goes away. Impulsiveness happens whenever our passion and desire for something outpaces our prayer and patience. For it. What is it in life? I'm going to every, for every one of these bad ways you can waste your wealth, I'm going to give you the positive alternative to that. To avoid waste, learn to be content. Learn to be content. Learn to say, oh, I got enough. Thank you so very much. John D. Rockefeller Sr. said it like this. How much money does it take to be a happy person? He says, just a little bit more. This is John D. Rockefeller. Just a little bit more and you'll be happy. Proverbs 23, 4 says it like this. says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the, the wild blue yonder. Contentment. I would say probably is the most important personal virtue that we need to develop in American culture. Contentment. The ability to, to back away and say, thank you, I've got enough. Thank you, I am satisfied. In, in, uh, in, in Tonga, in the language of the, of the African tribe that we worked with, there was the, uh, the one word that they would use for contentment. And I would say, I, when I was learning the language, I said, so how do you say when you're eating that you are full? And I had to explain what full was. I don't, I am so, I'm, I've eaten so much. And they don't have a word for that because they don't ever eat till they're full. They eat till they're content. And I think, we might take that into account in our own lives whenever we're talking about purchasing. Neiman Marcus had an ad a few years out that said it like this, Indulge. It's, a, it's time to put pleasure back in living. Satisfy your appetite. Leave guilt behind. Become a hedonist. Seek bliss at every turn. Succumb to temptation and revel in the feeling it gives you. A certain gratification accompanied, accompanied by a cushion of contentment. That last word doesn't even belong in the paragraph. Learn to be content. Learn to be content will get you past living impulsively. Number two, the second way you can waste your wealth is by squandering your money. By squandering your money, verse 13, he, he goes on because we see here that he, he liquidated any asset that his father gave him. If the, if the dad gave him some sheep, 
That was his wealth. He gave him some sheep. He liquidated it. If he had given him some farmland, he liquidated it. How do we know that? Because in verse 13 he says, And not many days later, probably just enough time to transact, get liquidate everything, the younger son gathered everything together. He got it all. It wasn't fields he took with him. He couldn't take the sheep with him. He got everything he could together. He liquidated his assets and he went out. He went on a journey to a distant country. He went away. You know, the problem with us in our life, what do we say? Loose lips, what? Loose living robs your happiness. Loose living robs your hope financially. You know, we have to really evaluate what it means to squander our money. Because it goes on in verse 13, he says, on the, in this journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Loose living. What does that look like? Well, other translations say reckless living. He just kind of did what he wanted to do. He followed his impulses. Literally, in the, in the Greek, I did a word study on this word reckless, on this word loose, and it, it gives the idea of taking grain in your hands and throwing it into the air and letting the wind blow it where it will. So you can imagine this young child having all this wealth and all this money, and what does he do with it? He takes it out and he just spends it. He doesn't know where it went. He doesn't know how, 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 what, it, what it's made for him. He just lives high, wide, and handsome. He just lives loose. He just does what it feels good. He just spends it wherever he can, loose living. How do you do this? Here's a couple of ways that you can live loosely with your money. One is non-prioritized spending. Non-prioritized spending. I really hate this next thing that I'm going to share with you because, to be honest with you, it's an embarrassment. When you live and you spend in a non-prioritized way, you have not made a plan and you just do it and you just follow your impulses and all of a sudden something comes up and you come back to it and you think, wow, I can't do that. And I told Lori whenever uh, this event happened in our life, I said, well, the only thing good out of this is going to be a sermon illustration. And... Um, and I think I know when it's going to be. And so I'll tell you a little bit of it. Because um, I've been pushing back for two weeks on even sharing this with you. But in July of last year, I started planning um, Lori and I's 17th wedding anniversary, which was in December 29th. And um, as we started planning this, uh, as, we, as I started planning this, I was preparing for it mentally. And the key word there is preparing for it mentally, not physically, okay? As I was preparing for this trip, I thought, okay, I've never done anything like this before. I'm going to surprise her on our, on our 17th wedding anniversary, and I'm going to take her back to where we went on our honeymoon, and we're going to have a second honeymoon. So we were going to go to the Grand Cayman Islands, and we were going to go diving, and it was an, going to be an awesome trip, and she didn't know about it. And so from beginning August 29th, September 29th, October 29th, all the way through every month on our anniversary day, 29th, I gave her a, a, a small gift, just something to communicate 
where we were going or what we would be doing. And so I was just kind of building up to it, hoping she would figure it out, because I can't keep secrets. And so the sooner she figured it out, the better we were going to be able to talk about it. So she figured it out finally. And so as we sat there and began to talk about it, as we figured it out, and we got really excited about it. She was online looking at where we were going to go and what we were going to do and where we were going to dive and we were going to get some advanced training in our diving. And it was just going to be an awesome time. And you know what? It was going to be really a cool time until about mid-December. And we began to look at our finances. And we began to say, oh my, how's that going to work? Because see, I had done something that I had planned mentally, but I had not planned financially. We had continued to spend our money on going out to eat. We had continued to shop like we normally shop. We had continued to continue to do what we continued to do at the normal pace that we can and not put back for it. And so in embarrassment, we talked through this, and I said, and she agreed, we can't do this. And we could do this if we wanted to really extend ourselves out there and get crazy with it, but really we should not do this. And so in short, mid-December, we back out of what could have been a great, great trip. And you know why? Because we did not prioritize our spending. It's an embarrassment. It's shameful. We both, <laughs> we both said, Lori was the one who said it, and I agree, this is an anticlimactic Christmas, you realize that. Because we had been building up for months to this great trip that we were going to go on, but because we did not prioritize our spending, we got in trouble. That's what it means to squander your wealth. The second way you can squander your wealth is by non-principled spending. When you no longer see your money as a, as a blessing from God and as a, a accountability to God, and now all of a sudden you spend on what you want to spend on. I, I, it just blows my mind that they call gambling the gaming industry. Because, you know, the only one who wins in the end is the house. The house always wins. But yet they call it gaming. Do you realize in Las Vegas every year $17 billion is left in Las Vegas due to gambling? $17 billion? How, how is that? The house always wins. You know, whenever I consider something a game, I consider it me against you, and it's going to be even, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to compete to the very end, and the winner's going to take all, okay? That may be how it is. But in, the, in gambling, the house always wins, and the families always lose. How do you avoid this kind of waste? You live on a budget. You live on a budget. Without a budget, you don't know where your money is going. With a budget, you are telling your money where to go. That is the best definition of a budget. Read this verse with me out loud. Proverbs 21.5. It says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit. Read it with me. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as a haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to prosperity. Listen, I want to be more diligent in the future. I don't want to be a squanderer in the future. The third thing that happens when you're, when you're wasting your wealth is you eliminate your margin, the margin in your life. 32% of Americans would say that they would be unable to handle an emergency in their, in their family or in their life if it was more than $5,000. They would have to go. Their, their emergency fund would be their credit card. Their emergency fund would be a family member bailing them out. They eliminate their margin in their life. 
Only 42% of Americans have calculated how much it's going to take to retire. You're eliminating your margin if you're not thinking about the future. It's an interesting thing I picked up in the paper a few years ago in the USA Today about personal disposable income. Now just look at this, this first graph. Personal disposable income in America has risen since 1980 to, to, 20, uh, to 2004 from 8,000 disposable income, nearly 9,000, to $29,000 in disposable income. All right? It means America has more money now that they can negotiate with, put back in savings, put back for something, put back for an emergency, put back for retirement. We have more in our, in, in our, in our pockets for that. But now notice this next slide. The same years, the same period of personal savings. People are saving less today than they were in 1980. They went from saving 10% to now we're saving 1.2%. So you know what happens when there's a flat tire? They begin to panic. You know what happens whenever there's a medical bill? They begin to panic. Because they haven't put back. They haven't saved. They haven't learned how to live safe and well within their margins in life. Dan Houston, Vice President and Principal Financial Group, said it like this, saving for retirement is the number one issue. So many Americans have let slip, replacing it with the plasma televisions, new cars, houses two-thirds bigger than they need. Who would have ever thought in, Ameri- in, in, in northwest Arkansas we would, we would go from the boom to almost a bust in the housing market? Well, who would have thought that this young man with all of this money, would ever live out all of that money. But what he did is he lived a life and he did not keep margin in his life. He'd spent it all. It was all gone. Now verse 14 with me there. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country. Oh, wow. If he had only known there was going to be a famine. If he had only known that, then that would have been different. If I'd only known that we were going to have medical bills in the month of December, then maybe I wouldn't have had. You know why? Because we don't have margin. You don't build margin into your budget. You don't build margin into your life. Then a crisis comes, a famine comes, the destruction comes, the job loss comes. Guess what? Trouble comes into our life. And that's exactly what happens to this man. Read this verse with me out loud, Proverbs. It says, The prudent person foresees danger. Read it with me. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Are you going to be a prudent person and plan and build into your life margin so that you'll have it for when the famine comes? You know, the thing is, is about about Lori and I's uh, trip, to go back and revisit that for just a moment, Lori and I could have gone. We had the money in savings. We had the money in some different things. We could have gone. But when we actually put pen to paper, to have, go, to have gone on this trip would have cost us all of our savings. We would not have had anything for a bump along the way. We would have spent it all. And you know what? Who knows? In fact, we had calculated that probably it would take us the next six months when we get back to rebuild up the savings that, would, that we would have taken out. Now, for that one-week vacation... It would have cost us that. For the next six months, we'd have had to live a perfect, spotless life. And I've already learned this week I need new tires and my air conditioner in my car is going out. All right? I'd be reliving that vacation in the summer. 
in my car. All right? That wouldn't have been much fun then. It'd be different on the beach sweating. It's different in your car sweating, okay? How do you avoid this? Build in a rainy day fund. Build into your life a rainy day fund. And set it aside and don't touch it. Number four way you can waste your wealth is decrease your options. I want us to look at verse 15 here. He says, So he went on and hired himself to be a citizen in another country, and, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he goes on and says that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. He wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. Nobody was helping him. This is the guy who had capital like this, all of a sudden who has capital like this and has no opportunity. What if he had taken his capital like this and reinvested it and used it in the right manner and, and used it for good and, and, and God had blessed it and all this kind of stuff? What if, what if, what if? But he didn't. So his opportunities had shrunk. His opportunities were gone. How do you avoid this waste? Ask, how does my wealth fit into God's future for me? Take that wealth that God has given you and begin to bring God into the equation. And we're not going to be finished with that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But begin to build God into the equation. God, what can I do with this? Because when you have nothing, guess what? Your opportunities are pretty limited. I've heard some of you say, oh, if I just had the capital, I would go invest it over here. If I just had the capital, well, take what capital you got and do with it. It's not the million dollars of a million dollars where you're lost. What you do with the buck and the quarter that you got. Get it? Here's another verse. Listen to this. Stupid people spend more money as fast as they get it. A wise man saves for the future. Proverbs 21, verse 20. The fifth way, or the fourth way, excuse me, that you're going to waste your wealth is when you humiliate yourself. When you humiliate yourself. Think about this. I want to encourage you to be inviting God into your budgeting process. We're going to be beginning something tonight called Financial Peace University that's going to start, a, hopefully, a cycle in our church where we will be the most sound mind church, most financially established church. Not so we'll be the richest church. No, 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 it's not it at all. We'll just be using the resources the way God intends them to be used. Start that tonight. Well, part of that process is inviting God in to the talks, letting Him be a part of your financial planning process. You think, oh, i got a financial planner. You think about your financial planner for just a moment. If your financial planner knows everything, he would not be your financial planner. They would be sipping Mai Tais in the Bahamas if they were so good at the financial planning part. All right? They, they, they wouldn't be working 9 to 5 or, or all, all week long. You know, they would be wealthy themselves. So they're in foul, they, have, they have their limitations too. You're going to have to bring God into the equation. Now, again, this story is truly more about God and his redemptive element than it is about, about making wealth, okay, it, than about spending. But it's a process that we go through because the son, he comes back and he realizes, hey, my father has it better. My, the servants who, who work for my father, it's better off there than it is where I am. And so he begins to think through, hey, maybe I can go back and, and work for my father. Verse 17 says it like this. It says, but when he comes to his senses, he said, how many, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And we'll say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Sinned against heaven and in your sight. God, I have done... I, that's humiliation. God, have messed up. It is humiliating whenever you come to the point of a anniversary trip and you say, God, you just didn't do it right. It's just, just plain and simple. We just didn't do it right. It's humiliating whenever you come to your life, at the end of your life, you say, you know what? I just wasted my life. I just wasted my life. The great thing about God, our Father, is that whenever He's a part of the process, you'll read the whole, you'll read the whole story and you'll find that He is very welcoming. He is very much about redemption. He is very much about restoring. He is very much about making it right and getting things on the right track. Here's your positive tip. Avoid the waste. Make God your chief financial advisor. Make God your chief financial advisor. And I'll just warn you right now, he's not going to tell you whether it's going to be Walmart or, or, or Target stock. Okay? I don't know, bad word here. Target. But, you know, Walmart or Target stock. Whether you ought to invest over here and, or what. He's not going to tell you that kind of stuff. You're not going to find that. But you're going to find tons of principles in His Word about how to handle our finances. Tons. 500 verses in the New Testament deal with prayer and faith. 2,000 in the Bible deal with money and possessions. Jesus talked more about money and possessions than He did about heaven or hell. Think about it. So He realizes that in our lives we're going to struggle in this area. So He's all over it, my friend. 16 of the 38 times Jesus gave a parable, it deals with money. So he's all over it. He's very practical. He's great illustration. He has a lot to say. And you know what? I, I, I had a book. I, I meant to bring it with me today. Of all the things that Jesus says in Scripture, all the things that God says from Genesis to Revelation, principles about money and possessions, I have every verse in one book, over 2,000 of them. I almost brought it today, but I just, I just went through there just this morning and just gleaned out a few of them. And if you have space in your notes, you can write them down. But here's just a few things that I think you need to take home with you about principles that God says about money. He would want you to avoid debt as much as possible. Proverbs 22.7 talks about being a slave to the lender. Avoid it as much as possible. Avoid it as much as possible. He has all kinds of things to say about it. Pay back your debts. The Bible says a lot about that. Romans 13, 8, Psalms 37, 21. It says you're an evil person if you don't pay back your debts. Pay back your debts. First dime out of every dollar should go to God. First dime. You say, oh, this is all what we're coming down to, Mike. Nah, this is basic stewardship. Put it on the front end. Do it in the beginning. Let it become a part of your lifestyle. The first dime out of every dollar goes to God. Genesis 14.20, Malachi 3.10, Matthew 23.23. Make that commitment on the front end. Here's just another one. And there's tons more. Give to get. Give to get. You may think, whoa, whoa, that's all about a prosperity gospel. Uh-uh. It's not that you give $10, God's going to give you $100. That's televangelist talk, Okay. You, you give $10, God may not give you money back. He may give you help. I, he, he, he may just give you peace. 
I don't know what he's going to give you, but I'll promise you this. You can never, ever, ever outgive God. You try it and prove me wrong. In fact, you just get into that mode that I'm going to try to outgive God and you'll see who wins in the end. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time, talents, treasures, the whole kit and caboodle, everything. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 is that verse. Lori and I made a commitment three years ago, and it's, it's, it's timely also to share this with you, that we made a commitment three years ago that we were going to give a double tithe. We were going to give 10%, a dime out of every dollar, to the ministry of this church. And then we were going to give another 10%, a dime out of every dollar, to the building of a ministry campus for Grace Point. Three years ago, we didn't have a ministry campus. Three years ago, we didn't even have a plan for a ministry campus. Three years ago, I don't even know if we had land at that point. Maybe we did. I don't can't remember. But I really believed, and the church members of Grace Point at that time really believed that that we needed a ministry campus. It would really make a difference in our church. So we made a three-year commitment to give 20% to the church. 10 to the ministry budget, 10% to the, to, the ministry, uh, to, the, to the ministry campus, to the Beyond campaign. And we're finishing it up this next week. I'm looking forward to writing that last check and finishing up our commitment. I'll tell you that story because when you think about it, had we not given a dime out of every dollar or 20 cents out of every dollar to the church, we could have gone to the Grand Canyon. Had we given uh, that to ourselves, I could be driving a new car that the air conditioner is not going out in. Had I kept that for myself, you know what? I might have some nicer clothes. Or I might have hair on my head. I might go get a hair transplant. Who knows what I might do? With that extra money. In fact, I've heard so many of the people say, when I put it on paper and I calculate it out, what it is that I'm giving, I said, oh man, I think of all the other things that I might be able to do. What I might be able to do. But let me ask you, if you are new to Grace Point, since we have been in this building, even if you're just attending and this is your very first day, would you do me the favor, if you're new to Grace Point, since we've been in this building, that means one year and a couple months, Would you stand up right now? Just stand up for just a moment. Okay? Okay. This is where part of my money has gone. This is awesome. Thank you. You may be seated. Awesome. Thank you. You know what? You may not smell like a new car, but you appreciate value. And I'd much rather have you because of maybe some faithfulness that Lori and I have committed to, I'd much rather have you than a new car. Thank you. Let's pray together. Are you a waster? Are you a spender? Or are you an investor? You know, I have to think as I give, what God is doing, I have to believe I'm investing. Might I be able to go on all the trips or something like that? Might I have a newer car? Yeah, maybe. Okay, whatever. But people, people will be the only thing on this earth that will last forever. And I want you to just think through your life 
Think through your resources and what God has allowed you to have. And how much is God a part of that? Because if there's really going to be hope in your finances, I really think God has got to be in your finances. It's not called economics, it's called Godonomics. Where somehow God is in it. He's helping us make the decisions. He's helping us make the purchases. He's helping us to make the investments. He's helping us to give. He's helping us to live. He's giving us hope. But you might be like that prodigal son right now in the midst of famine. And you really, really, really in your heart need to come to the Father. Would you just picture what that father did? He went out. He killed the fatted calf. He threw a feast. God the Father will rejoice as you come to a relationship with Him. Father God, we thank You for these moments so fleeting, so few. Father, I would pray that that we would truly look inside of us. You would truly look inside of us and You would help us to see just exactly where You are in our life. Are You our chief financial advisor? Because there's no doubt. There's no doubt that being in Your will, being with You, sitting at Your table, living for You is far better than eating the pods of the swine of this world. Lord, if there's anybody in this room right now who doesn't know You, I pray that right now they'll consider giving their life fully and completely to You. Lord, this is Your time. We are Your people. What we have is Yours, Lord. We commit it all to You now. In Jesus' name.